This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, going to space with Andrew C. Ferreira. Imagine living on a planet where it rains diamonds, actually believed to be a thing. Neptune and Uranus are the two places. James Webb Telescope has finally reached its parking spot. All kinds of cool images coming in, but not for months yet. They still have lots of work to do. And SpaceX satellites that give us internet, especially to rural places, are starting to cause an inability to see space. The International Dispatch is on the podcast as well. Chris Gilbert talks about all kinds of crazy Senate Zoom meetings from Italy, plus Irish fishermen taking on the Russian military and more. And what about NFTs. Are they fake? Are they not fake? Turns out some of them are. Greg Fish is on the podcast too. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for us to take a little trip around the world. We've got Potato Chip Gilbert on standby. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. He's a Kiwi who was in Canada. Now he's in Tokyo, and he has an imaginary cat named Potato Chip Gilbert who has a song. Potato Chip Gilbert. Uh, Potato Chip Gilbert. Gilbert. Yeah, that's it. See? That's yeah. the one. So, uh, he, uh, Potato Chip Gilbert was lost in the move from Vancouver to Tokyo, but hopefully uh, Potato Chip is going to be okay, the imaginary cat. Chris, how are you? You good? I'm great, man. I mean, I'm, I'm drowning in COVID hell here in Tokyo, and uh, I'm drowning in uh, construction hell. My entire apartment building is surrounded in scaffolding, and it will be for the next two months. So if you hear any um, squeaks or blips or you know curses in Japanese, it'll be um, the guys walking around my window right now. Lovely. What floor are you on? I'm three from three. Okay, that's yeah. confusing. What does that mean? I mean, I'm, well, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure what I meant myself, actually. I mean, that sounds like a <laughs> hockey score. Um, I'm on the third floor of a three-story building. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Still probably um, a weird way to say it, but I get yeah, it. Now. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, you've had me on this show before. You know, I'm not always, you know, I don't usually make the most sense. I'm not doing it right now. See what I mean? <laughs> I got it. I got it right now. It must be weird yeah. on the third floor of the building to all of a sudden have people peeping in your window. Oh, yeah. No, they walk past. You know, like it, it's excellent because people in Tokyo are, are very skilled at furiously avoiding eye contact. You know, like <laughs> they could just uh, you could have a hit on collision and people would just, you know, avoid eye contact and just drive away from each other. So, you know, uh, builders are, are no exception to this. And so they could be on your balcony and they will find a way to absolutely never look in. Or, or it, it's quite wonderful, really. I mean, on last Saturday, I was like, oh, it's my Saturday. I'm looking forward to just, you know, having a cup of coffee and, and not, you know, I don't want these guys around. But, you know, you hear their little tapping, tap, 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 and their little con- construction noises, like, ooh, ooh. you know, you see them walk past. And it's kind of like just having friends around, really. You know, it's hmm. kind of nice. Maybe that's really pathetic. Maybe I live a sad, lonely life, but well, I like having them here. You also had an imaginary cat, so I don't know why you would think of that. Uh, Sir Christopher <laughs> Gilbert takes us on a tour of news and fun stories from around the world on the International Dispatch. Uh, yeah. What uh, continent or country are you taking us to first, sir? Well, I think continent is a great way to just to set the scene because we're in Europe. Hmm. Okay. So remember that we're in Europe, and that's where we're starting. Specifically, we're starting in Italy. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, I'll just read the headline. Uh, Final Fantasy Pornography Interrupts an Italian Senate Meeting. Mm. And 
that's what happened. Uh, there is a character called Tifa uh, with extremely unrealistic, um, you know, bodily proportions uh, from the uh-huh. game Final Fantasy VII. Um, you know, she looks a lot like um, what's her face from um, you know the Angelina Jolie character, uh, Laura Toomes from from yeah. Tomb Raider. Tomb Laura, Raider. Tomb Raider. Yeah. 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 Her. Laura um, Croft. Laura yeah, Croft. Laura Croft. Yes. Ryan looks at the anyway. poster on his wall. Yeah, it's probably, my favorite um, game. <laughs> yeah, probably very high in ones. my internet searches um, from the early 2000s. But this one is not Laura Croft. It's Tifa from Final Fantasy VII. And during an Italian Senate meeting, which are still being held uh, over Zoom, a seminar actually of the Italian Senate, um, they were featuring a Nobel Prize winner um, when suddenly, oh, uh, animated pornography flashes across everyone's screen. And when oh I say my. flashes, I mean comes up on everyone's screen and stays on everyone's screen. Uh, this is specifically referred to as uh, hentai pornography, uh, the animated type, um, which I am reading from this story, not that I know from experience. Um, this story reads, with the COVID-19 pandemic causing problems <laughs> around the world, the lawmakers conducted their business on Zoom, just like any other major profession. However, <clears> when their meeting began, the politicians could not have foreseen what's about to happen on their call. Uh, the seminar, which revolved around a discussion about transparent civil service, oh my god, awesome, began with no signs of a potential hack. However, when the Nobel Prize winner for physics, Giorgio Parisi, was about to be introduced, a hacker joined the call and began to screen share. And I can't tell you exactly what it was because, you know, we would get in trouble. Um, but it was i'll use the words active um there was there was more than one person involved Mm. um but there was nothing there was something explicit happening but there was nothing explicit visible ah so i'm I'm not going to give any more details than that if you really 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 want to see what it was you can google it mate and look it's not that hard to find um Personally, out of journalistic endeavor, I have seen the video uh, just to see if there was some f- funny audio involved. Uh, the, there was audio involved. It wasn't funny. And um, <laughs> and that's about as much as I'm willing to say. All right. That is fantastic. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Do you you I, heard I, about I, the story about the Canadian MP who um, changed his clothes and was naked on a Zoom call, right? Oh, mate, when I was producing over there, there was something every week um, happening on a Zoom call, either at local level, but um, I haven't heard that specific one, but I'm not surprised. But I I will just say that, first of all, this meeting in Italy was a discussion about transparent civil service. Now, first of all, what is not more topical about transparency and a civil service than what they saw? Secondly, what better way to liven up a discussion about transparent civil service than what they saw? And thirdly, I got two more points. I got four points on this. Thirdly, these bourgeois, like Italian, you know, macchiato-sipping senators, this is nothing compared to probably the perverted stuff they're used to. And fourth of all, (laughs) this is Europe. This is like... Sunday afternoon family viewing on TV and, and, you know, around that continent. This is, this is just like, like high art. 
You know, this is like you get a bowl of soup and you dip the bread in, or, you know, with the cassoulet or what, you know, and, and you sit around the TV and it's just like, oh, look, some very unadulterated softcore animation is on TV. This is nothing. So, you know, I think this is very four titillating points. for us in the West. Hmm? Yeah. Four points, or as we like to call it, four of four there in your list. Yeah, four from four. There you go. Four um, from four from Chris Gilbert. The guy who uh, the uh, the um, uh, Will Amos, the MP who was uh, changing his clothes and naked and iron, I think he was ironing on the on the Zoom call, also was the same guy who was um, caught on camera urinating during parliamentary meetings as well. So that was the same guy. He had a bad couple of weeks. Uh, that fella. You guys really can't pick him over there, can't you? The main things that we have over in New Zealand is, you know, we have celebrity cats that go walkies and they go missing. You know, mm. like some, something like this. Oh my God. In New Zealand, a story like this would be like a two month story. There would be like um, official information act requests. There would, the ombudsman would get involved. There'll be like a, a, a task force or a workforce to get, you know, oh, nothing happens over there. So, you know, I feel Prime like. Prime Minister would Canada delay her probably... wedding to do the investigation. Yeah, like, I think she does have to delay her wedding. Anyways, everyone is um, jogging on the spot, wetting their pants about Omicron going over there at the moment. So, yeah, no wedding. Uh, Chris is allowed to allowed to have that opinion. I mean, he's from the place. Okay, so let's uh, take another little trip, uh, sticking to the Europe end of the world. Um, where else are you taking us? Ireland. Does Ireland? Do they see themselves as European in Ireland? They were the um, only ones who voted to stay in the EU. Um, when there was the Brexit, I believe it was Ireland was the only one that wanted to stay in the EU and everybody else wanted to leave. Oh, okay. Before you quantified, uh, qualified that with um, before the Brexit, I thought you meant Ireland was the only country in the EU that wanted to stay in the EU. <laughs> so everyone else leaves the party. <laughs> everybody, yeah. Everybody's gone. <laughs> um, we're talking specifically about uh, Irish fishermen. Um, so they're a bit um, in, a, in a tiff. They're a bit huffed up um, oh. because uh, at the Russians, uh, the Russians are planning um, some military exercises in the waters, uh, I think, like between Portugal and Ireland. But it's in the Ireland, um, the EEZ, the Exclusive Economic Zone, and it's right in the corner. Like, I swear, like if they just moved it uh, like a, a kilometer west it would be out of the Irish EEZ. So it almost feels like, you know, they're being prodded and teased a little bit by just how, like, much they're in the EEZ. They're only just in the Irish uh, fishing zone. But the fishers, the f- you call them fishers, fishermen, fisher ladies, the fishing people are all up in arms, no pun intended. Um, fishing humans. Because, yeah, fishing humans. Because the Russians are... Um, gonna like I, I think it's quite serious like i think they're gonna like deploy missiles and and bombs and and blow up things and um and the and the fishing people the fishing humans are like well we fish there you can't do that um and i find a little bit of um audio which is mostly because it's always fun to listen to irish people talking um mm-hmm. so brendan can we um can we play that that fisherman one one please if, you, if someone came into your backyard and said they were doing a, an army exercise, you wouldn't be happy about it either with live, live fire? With everything going on in the Ukraine and everything at the moment, this is just posturing from what I can see, and it's needless, it's unnecessary. 
The Russian military exercise is due to take place over five days near the Porcupine Bight, an area within Ireland's exclusive economic zone, rich with prawns and blue whiting, giving rise to fears for the fishing grounds and marine life. They're not going to be firing bow and arrows at each other, you know, but I mean, so this is a live exercise and it is massive. Yeah. I want to go to Ireland. Yeah, I mean, first of all, they're not going to be firing bows and arrows at each other. You don't know that. You're a fisherman. They might be firing bows and arrows at each other. So that's one point. The second is that, hey, don't get involved and start throwing your opinions around about world politics on the TV. You're a fisherman. Thirdly, oh man, I got three I got four points again, Shane. Oh, four Thirdly. from four. Thirdly. Three from fishermen four. and fisherwomen. And uh, I, I don't think we broadcast in Nova Scotia, so I think it's fine. Always whinging about something. I'm from an island nation. Okay. We have a lot of fishing people. They're always complaining. Oh, the, the waves are too big. The waves are too small. There's too many fish today. There aren't enough fish today. The people want us to stop fishing. There's always something. Oh, the, the Russian military is doing army drills in my fishing spot. Always something to complain about. And the fourth point is, really, they should be grateful because, you know, maybe the Russians are there helping them. You know, like they don't have to, you know, fish as many fish if the fish are all floating on the surface. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I don't know what to say. I would, I would I would, say that fisher people probably have a tough go, and I think that's all right for them to do it. Uh, Galway, by the way, is on the west coast of Ireland. And um, in Por- Porcupine Bank, This listening to Irish people speak, I actually searched Porcupine Bite because I that's didn't what, know what it that's was. That's what I heard. Yeah, it's Porcupine Bank. Um, and, uh, it is west of Galway in the Atlantic and, uh, and I found it. So it's, uh, that's where the rich of the prawns and the shrimps or whatever are, um, there out there. It's kind of in Pro- the middle of prawns nowhere. Prawns and brew whitey. Yeah. Prawns and brew whitey. I can't do it. I, 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 no, I can't. I Ryan can't can do, do it. I really wish Ryan's I good could. At it. Ryan, Ryan, go ahead. Ryan, you, you did, Ryan, you, you did, you did German last week. Go on, do it. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, if we're talking about going to the bite of the beavers, oh, there's no better oh bay in the Isles. Oh, See? mate, you, you just like taking a vacation. Police Academy sequel. You can do all the voices. <laughs> I would do. I would have done well in that age. Uh, which is a great ways. way to tie it together, because if the, there was a Police Academy of today's world, if anything, there was pornography on a on a video call, and someone walked in naked on a video call or had pornography hack on a video call it would happen in a police academy movie so you've tied everything well together what other ones can you do you did german last week you did irish are those your two your two party accents or no, you, you missed scottish earlier we did haggis we had a conversation can, about haggis earlier i can do a lot of accents <laughs> you can just travel the world offending people that's wonderful uh, yeah, yeah, I, the fine line, right? I gotta dance on it. I, you just have well, yeah, to have fun with it. Don't be too stereotypical accents, though, with it. Accents are still accents, right? Um, you are, people are, have yeah. accents, and there is a, a line where you're mocking people, and there's a mm-hmm. mind where you're impre- impersonating people. And you guys make yes. fun of me, right? <laughs> the way that my sort of intonation is with things I say. So, right? I mean, we. There's a fine line, and we got it. We got a couple of emails. I can't believe you do mafia accent and everything. It, you know what? It, it, it 
it, the reality is is that people have accents. And if we can't, look, if we can respect each other enough to say that, hey, you say that word funny, um, I think that we're going to be okay. Of all the things that we don't have, we don't have accents in New Zealand. We all just sound normal. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, totally. can you do a New Zealand accent? Uh, I've been working on it. He does um, a good Chris well, accent. I, yeah, oh, really? Yeah. I haven't heard this. Here we well, go. Have I done Come a Chris on. accent? Well, no, I, you're, I don't you're about to. I heard, uh, heard a New Zealander say Eminem, uh, and that made me really happy because uh, I thought that was hilarious. Um, uh huh. I'm trying. I try. It's 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 a really hard accent because it's British and that it's also a little bit Australian and that it like the inflection's weird. Hold on, I'm overthinking mm-hmm. it. You are overthinking it. It's it's really okay, easy. Dang. You just turn yeah, every vowel, and uh, mm, I think you turn every vowel into you. That's how oh, a New see? Zealander would describe uh, New Zealand accent. Turn every, so vowel, like... turn every turn every vowel into you. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> good, but see, that's too Australian. But, but I think it's I. I, right? I, I think it's I. I think you. Everything's got it more of an instead of an I, it's an I, and everything has got an I to it. Like That's fishing silly. is fi- f- f- sort of fight f- fishing. Like I, I don't know. You do it, and when you do it, it's that was terrible. But when you do it, it's um, you do it. It's and it's it's very very. When you do it. You do it. You can't. You, you can't argue it. with that. That's yeah. Two f- no, two from two right there. I just just for the sake of my country people, uh, uh, the I is Australian. Uh, so if it's fishing and you say fishing, that's Australian, but the in New Zealand is a U, so fishing is fushing. So you you eat fush and chops in New Zealand. Fush and that chops. that would be a really strong New Zealand accent. So that's just wow. to um help you along with your studies there. Oh, thank you very much. Uh that's good. All right, we I think we um um Yeah, let's uh, let's can we move to uh North Carolina? Or Swiss, uh, yeah. Switzerland, and do that one because that's what we have time for. So let's get that one because um, we haven't talked. We have that's the only one we haven't talked about. So let's do it. Yeah, no, let's do it. And uh, I think I've probably got four points around this. But I'll see if I can cut it down to one or two. Um, oh. A lady drove to North Carolina thinking it was the Swiss Alps. I mean, because uh, you know you do. Uh, of course, of course, she was from Florida. Um, her mother, she said, had never seen snow, so they were driving to a place called Boone, North Carolina, where I assume there was snow, but this lady's judgment of geography is obviously not the best. And she's driving to Boone, North Carolina to look at snow, and uh, TikTok tells her that the Swiss Alps – well, not the Swiss Alps. She didn't know they were the Swiss Alps, but these oh. beautiful canyons and mountains are only an hour away, and uh, someone had incorrectly geotagged it. And she was like, oh, my God, it looks so cool. We have to go here. And so they go, like Homer Simpson-esque U-turn, and they drive an hour to Gastonia, sunny Gastonia, North Carolina. It's exotic. And they find a petrol station in, like, a corner store and stuff, and they're like, oh, there's no Swiss Alps. Um, here, let's play that, that, that little clip we have of uh, her talking about that. Me and my husband and his family were driving up to Boone because his mom had never seen snow. In the car, Olivia Garcia came across this video on TikTok. I was like, oh my God, this looks so cool. We have to go here. I showed everyone they're like, okay, let's go. It was an hour out of the way. But when they arrived, this is what she saw. Everyone in the car was like, did you not Google search this? And I was like, 
I didn't think about it. I was just like scrolling on TikTok. I'm like, oh, we should go here. And they asked what the name of the place was. And I'm like, Gastonia. They routed it and we went and I just kept scrolling. Zachary Cassi lives in Durham and is the creator behind the video. I don't think I've ever been to Gastonia. He's been tagging North Carolina spots like Wrightsville Beach, Falls Lake, and Concord Mills Mall in videos he took while studying abroad two years ago. I know it's not these actual locations and that's the point of it, but it's nice when people, I guess, see the humor in it. Love that guy. I love that guy so much. Um, that guy reminds me of that. Oh, he reminds me of Adam Driver. Like, I just imagine Adam Driver's face yeah. when I hear that guy. You're like, you know, I don't think I've ever been to Gastonia, but like if she found her way there, I guess that's like kind of her problem. But I think I, yeah. I think I know how someone could get suckered into it, though. How? Do you know where the Appalachian Mountains are? Oh, yeah, they go They go up that, that coastline all the way up to Maine. That's right. So the Appalachian Mountains are in, like, North Carolina, and Appalachian Ski Resort is right there by Boone. And so I would say that Appalachian just doesn't sound like American mountains to me. And I looked at it. As soon as they, I searched it on the map, I was like, okay, well, where did they go? And look at it and go, oh, it's Appalachian Ski Resort. So to me, that, that would be an easy sucker moment of getting sucked into it. I mean, I mean, sucker is the word because America is the country of there's always a bigger sucker. So someone suckered this lady into going there by putting the wrong geotag. But then I think she's suckering us because this uh, massive quotation fingers journalist found this story. Guess where? TikTok. So this lady has gone viral on TikTok by making a dumb decision. And so I think we're the real suckers here. She's suckering us. And everyone's getting sucked in by the sucking. And it's not great. I think she's got one over us. She's famous now. Well, she's not. Come on. She's famous. She was in the Jacksonville News or whatever. But I'm talking about her, you know. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I feel sucked in. I, I'm guilty as well. <laughs> I have no that's, idea. That's, that's all I have to say, Shane. There's no more to say. Right. That's all I got. I, that's... That sounds like a great, like, very commanding and confident finish. <laughs> Thank you for listening okay, to okay. the International Dispatch where <laughs> Chris is a sucker. <laughs> okay. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, I can, I can finish on a better note than that. Um, okay, right. very quickly. This is four sentences. Um, a robot vacuum cleaner has made a break for freedom after giving staff the slip at a travel lodge. The automated cleaner failed to stop at the front door of a hotel in Orchard Park in Cambridge on Thursday. This, uh, the Roomba is still on the loose the following day. The hotel staff said it could just keep going and it could be anywhere. While well wishes on social media hope the vacuum enjoyed its travels. It was found under a hedge on Friday. The end. <laughs> the International Dispatch. Sir Christopher Gilbert joins us live from Tokyo. Uh, thank you, brother, for being here. As always, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's always fun with you guys and have a lovely week. This is the Shift Podcast. We are going to space. We are getting sciency. It's time to open up the cage with Andrew. Andrew Ferreira is weird. So weird, he loves science more than sleep and other people. It's time for Andrew Ferreira's weird science. All right, it's time to let him out of his cage. It's been a little while. He's working hard being a student and doing studenty things. Andrew C. Ferreira, how are you? Uh, student. 
that's pretty much how I would describe that's, it. Just kind of that's the summary. Just like screaming, and then the word student. Yes. Good. That's well, cool. um, thanks for being here, buddy. I really yeah, appreciate that. We was wondering if we could borrow your your nerdy space brain for a second yeah, no for worries. the weird science. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You can you can have it for now. I might need it back, yeah. but you can have it for All now. Right. Get for now. Good. Um, so there was an interesting story that had come up. Um, that it was possible. <laughs> I'm just going to say it because I don't know how to properly pronounce the planet or moon thing. Oh, dear. Um, uh, that there is diamond rain on Uranus. You can say Uranus. Um, people will snicker uh, as you should. I think it's fine to have that childish sense of humor. I think it's necessary, especially now. Um, I, for the sake of not eliciting snickers, I do like to say Uranus. Um Good. Well, it's diamond raining on Neptune and Uranus. Yes. Um, and this is something that, you know, ever since, well, as, as long as we've had an idea of what these two planets are made of, mainly like methane and ammonia um, and a lot of carbon and a lot of carbon bearing compounds, uh, there's been the idea that perhaps um, the pressures and temperatures deep within their atmospheres are such that diamond could form and exist in some kind of way, shape or form. Um and then the Voyager 2 spacecraft swung by and showed us nice pretty pictures of the blueness of them, which, very nice. Uh, but that kind of reignited the kind of, well, what could it be, you know, inside of these things? Uh, and there have been dozens of kind of studies and theoretical simulations and all that because we haven't sent another probe to Uranus or Neptune since then. And we can't really um, send something down deep into their atmospheres because it would get crushed and die. Um, oh, which means we would not be able to get any meaningful information out of it. So all we can really do is kind of speculate and 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 do lab experiments here on Earth um, to kind of go, well, maybe this is what's happening. Um, hmm. And so this is not necessarily something that is new per se or something that has just come out of the woodwork now as a thing that we have to think about. Uh, this has been theorized for a while. But the laboratory experiments and science um, have been piling up. Um, and this is one of my favorite experiments here. Um, they essentially shot lasers at styrofoam. Mm -hmm. um, and they were able to make diamonds here on Earth using lasers and styrofoam. Because um, <laughs> if, you know, if you cast your brain back to, you know, high school chemistry, you'll remember that diamonds are just carbon. It's just a form of carbon that's just been compressed into a stable configuration. Uh, and that's why diamonds are so hard um, and so, you know, very durable. Um, it's just a very stable configuration of, of, of carbon. Um, and so it's and shiny and shiny. Um, and so it's not necessarily that, you know, Uranus and Neptune have lots of styrofoam, which gets hit by lasers, which turns it into diamonds. Um, but styrofoam is made up a lot of the same compounds um, as we find. Um, in uh, Uranus and Neptune's atmospheres and mantles, if you want to call them that. Um, and so as you kind of go deeper and deeper, like we do on Earth, as you go deeper and deeper into the Earth, the temperature and the pressure goes up. Um, same thing with Uranus and Neptune, the temperatures and pressures will go up um, and you'll start to see lots of different ices. Um, and this isn't ice as in like the ice you put in your drink or the ice that maybe I should have put in my drink. Um, these are weird chemical ices um, essentially made of carbon compounds um, that are just compressed and turned into freaky substances that we don't really understand very well. Um, but like water, ammonia, and methane, uh, as they get compressed, 
the pressures can eventually break apart these molecules, right? And these molecules uh, will kind of, you know, shatter apart under the pressure and the carbon itself will be released. Uh, The carbon then binds to other carbon uh, atoms as it likes to do, and it'll form long chains of carbons. And then as you go even deeper and deeper, these carbon chains will squeeze together and theoretically form um, diamond. Um, And so these, you know, layers of diamond, I think they call them diamond birds or something like that. Um, They'll, (laughs) they'll sink down through like the methane and ammonia, uh, and, and water and ices in in the atmosphere there. Um, and they will, you know, in a way that is kind of similar to rain, if you were able to look at it like that, these chains of diamonds will essentially float down, eventually to the point where they get crushed and vaporized, where they would, air quote, evaporate back up into higher layers, and that cycle would repeat again, where the wow. diamonds would condense, kind of fall down, vaporize evaporate condense fall down repeat and repeat and so that's where we get diamond uh rain so it's kind of like hail really it's kind of like hell it's like a very expensive several thousand degree millions of times earth pressure kind of expensive hail well the neat part of that story andrew is that that's very similar and maybe this is where the notion comes from or vice versa um, we've heard of, you know, man-made diamonds, plasma diamonds, stuff like that, right? Um, lab created yep. diamonds. Um, that's basically how they're created. A bunch of little ones go together. They create a bunch of little laser beams, much little ones. Then they superheat them. They start to attach to each other, make a bigger one yep. and so on and so forth. It means that's, that's literally what the jewelers are doing to make the, the man-made diamonds. Exactly. Um, and this is just another instance of mother nature saying, oh, that's cute. Watch this. Yeah, um, hold my beer. Exactly. And showing us, you know, how it's really done. Um, so I think that's just really cool. And plus, there are other worlds, uh, there are other exoplanets where it's theorized that this kind of diamond formation and diamond rain uh, doesn't happen, you know, deep within the planet. But there are planets where the surfaces are, you know, hellish enough that this kind of thing may happen on the surface. Um, uh-huh. And of course, we have no confirmation, no verification of that at all. Um, there's no way we can, you know, even adequately detect exoplanets without, you know, seeing anything more than, oh, there's a pixel that looks a little bit brighter here. Um, but given the characteristics and what we do know of, of physics, it's not a, you know, it's not far-fetched to imagine that some of these worlds that we found, um, these hot Jupiters is what they like to call them, uh, that orbit incredibly close to their parent star incredibly fast. Uh, it's not, you know, unreasonable to think that this kind of diamond rain may happen, you know, close to the surface of some of these worlds due to the incredible heat and pressure um, exerted by these fast orbits and, and you know, close proximity to parent star. Isn't that funny, though? Hey, like, it wouldn't it be ironic that <laughs> all of the mining and all the money spent on diamonds on Earth Right. Like, like, it's the most precious of all the things. And then you go to this neighboring planet and it's falling out of the sky. And the people there are, well, A, they're dead because you can't survive there. But B, they're just sick and tired of it. They'd probably just be like, just take it. Just take it, please. It'd be like rain in Vancouver, right? Exactly. It's like, it, it's it's not novel. We're tired. We're tired <laughs> it's no of it. longer novel. Ah, oh, it's an amazing, an amazing uh, story. Raining diamonds on Uranus and Neptune just fallen from the sky. Kind of cool stuff. All right. Also in space, um, the Webb telescope, bud, uh, yeah. has reached the end of it. It has reached its parking stall. That's right. It has reached the um, 
the end of the journey part of it. It's time to park, lay down the anchor and take some pictures. Yeah, that's the uh, that's what's going on right now. Um, and there's still a few days to go before um, it's officially in its final parking orbit. And they call it the L2 insertion burn, which still needs to happen. Um, and this is just the burn that the, that the telescope will have to make in order to orbit itself around the L2 point. Um, but kind of panning back, because the last time I talked to you about Webb, it essentially, I think it was just before it launched or just after it launched or something like that. Time is meaningless to me now. Um, but at that point, you know, the hardest and most dangerous parts of the mission were still ahead. Um, and now that, you know, the sun shield deployment and all the mirror deployments actually they went by so smoothly, they actually did it ahead of time, um, which is kind of ironic oh, given... I know that, they saved fuel, too. Yeah, they saved fuel. Um, the The rocket launch was so good. was so good. Um, and basically, it got itself into an orbit that was so well, I don't know, orbited, <laughs> um, that basically they didn't have to expend the extra fuel they thought they might have to. Um and in so doing this, they were able to, you know, kind of save some fuel and they haven't released a final figure, uh, but they do figure that, you know, the extra fuel savings based on the good uh, launch and good orbital insertion uh, will get them well over the 10 year initial planned uh, lifespan of the telescope, um, which is excellent. Yeah. Well, and, and my understanding was that it does have a it does have a gas tank. This one, it does have a limited amount of yep. fuel. Once it's done, it's done. It has to uh, it has to actively maintain its position um, around the L two point. Otherwise, it'll drift. And because this telescope needs to be extremely cold uh, to function, and I'm looking at you know the live metrics for it right now, uh, the cold side of the telescope is currently. Uh, let me I'll switch this over to not crazy person units. Um, the cold side is currently somewhere between minus 202 and minus 210 degrees Celsius. So it's a little wow. chilly. Um, chilly. But basically the, the coldness is necessary for it to be able to see heat, which is essentially what this telescope is going to be looking at is infrared radiation. It needs to be this cold. And so if its orientation can't be kept in such a way uh, that it's, you know, sensing instruments are directly facing away from the sun, this telescope will be ruined, essentially. So once it runs out of fuel, uh, there's a very limited amount of time left for it to be able to keep making meaningful scientific measurements. Um, so the fact that it's, you know, we're able to give it a, a boost and save a lot of the fuel for it um, is very good uh, in terms of science. But back to previously... The, uh, yeah. the sun shield and the mirror, those are the two kind of scariest parts of deployment. And they were budgeted to take, you know, a, about two weeks, essentially, in total to completely suss out and get out of the way. Uh, but the sun shield was deployed in something like three days. And the mirrors were essentially deployed in about another three days. So all of the, you know, in a way, all of the delays and setbacks and problems they had here on Earth uh, there were so many that they were able to streamline it so that once it was in space, it actually came in ahead of schedule. Um, it's kind of funny considering the actual telescope was more than a decade behind schedule. Um, but really, when you're making these kinds of things, it isn't quite as important, I suppose. Um, you know, once it's, you know, off the ground, kind of all the delays and all of that stuff that happened while it was on the ground, you just kind of cast them to the past. And now you just, all you got to do is look forward and hope that it works well. Um, and it's, you know, retire and like the term that they like to use when talking about web is risk retirement. 
Um, basically, how many of the really critical steps are in the past? Um, and at, right up about now, uh, I want to say more than 90% of the risk has been retired for this mission. Oh, that's cool. That's so, amazing. Um, so good. It's all we're waiting for is that final burn into, uh, into its L2 orbit. And then uh, they're going to commission the science instruments. And that'll take um, uh, on the order of a few months, actually. Um, really? And the first kind of data we'll be getting back, not necessarily pictures, because this isn't going to be taking like Hubble's fantastic pictures. Um, it's not seeing visible light. It's only seeing infrared light. But we should be seeing, you know, the first real bits of data come down in June. Um, so right. it's still several months out, but most of the danger is behind us. And so, you know, uh, Space Jesus and Universe Buddha willing, um, we'll have our data in, in May or June. And then uh, this will really open up kind of a window into the beginning of the universe as it was, not just the beginning of the solar system. Um, Very cool. So that's super interesting. So clutter in space, let's talk about that quickly because um, SpaceX has been in a little bit of trouble, at least under scrutiny. Yeah. <laughs> because they, they've been put, they put so many Starlink satellites, which are the internet satellites up there that there was worry about just clutter and collisions also worry about visibility of trying to see through the little buggers to to see the stars yeah so you know and starlink is probably the most prodigious of the companies up there in space but other satellite constellations are up there and being built and so ground-based observatories are um having a bit of a hard time seeing because of the literally hundreds of satellites whizzing through the sky now um and SpaceX and other companies are being, you know, essentially urged. They're begging. People are begging them to, like, we know that you want this because it'll make you lots of money and that's very nice for you. Um, but for Earth-based observation, it kind of ruins it a little bit. Um, so there have been all sorts of um, measures that, at, at least off the top of my head, that I know that Starlink has taken, for instance, um, they literally will physically position the satellites in a different orientation um, just so that they don't take up as much room uh, visually. Uh, they also uh, have experimented with painting like the backsides of them with this like color absorbing black so that it doesn't reflect as much light and doesn't That's funny glide. But like it's kind of a, a big uh oh oopsie here because even if you paint that black and even if you kind of stand them on their end so you can't see them, it's still there. And we're in the essentially still in the beginning stages of all of these satellite uh, constellation deployments. So it kind of makes me wonder, you know, is, you know, could the age of, you know, wide scale Earth based observation be coming to its end? Right. Um, because soon it's just going to be too congested. To... Yeah, try to look through a chain link fence. Oh, exactly. A chain link fence that is moving. And then through that chain link fence, there are 14 other chain link fences also moving. Um, and so it kind of makes me wonder if this is going to be a push for, you know, more orbital telescopes or observatories uh, to be commissioned. And I know there are plans to have uh, radio telescopes on the far side of the moon, telescopes uh, on the far side of the moon, which would be fantastic uh, because they would be completely free of the electromagnetic interference of the Earth. All of the uh, all of the data signals and, and the heat and the noise from Earth would be would be wouldn't be a problem and so it would make radio uh, observation extremely valuable if we were able to make it work in space um so you know maybe this is not good for earth-based science i don't think it's that good for earth-based science uh but you know you got to try and find positive somewhere and hopefully this is uh the push that you know nasa and other you know national space organizations need 
to start prioritizing, you know, space-based observatories because they really are just better in every way, except for the whole money thing. Um, well, we can think of one very, very good benefit. TikTok at the North Pole. I mean, would that be a good benefit? <laughs> Andrew C. Ferreira, uh, thank you very much for the weird science, my friend. Yeah, man, no I appreciate you taking out your time and your schedule to be here with us as always. Yeah, no sweat, buddy. Take care. This is the Shift Podcast. Let's introduce Greg Fish. Welcome, Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. I was on board a bus and looking at this lady and she was looking at me. She looked familiar. I finally, uh, she finally asked me if I was Colleen. Turns out it was a kid I used to babysit 45 years ago. Um... That's Colleen, the church lady. Her sends good news, too. I got boosted on Sunday. Thank you, Colleen, for that. So when you recognize people from so long ago. Now, Fish, uh, thanks for being here, buddy. I appreciate it. You have moved from Ukraine uh, to uh, the United States. You're in California. There is a vast <laughs> gap in space between the places you've been. Do you ever recognize people, run into people that you would never have thought you would see? You know what? Not really. No. I mean, I used to live in Ohio as well. And sometimes I will. I, I know that there's I know that sometimes people have uh, have moved around. But I, you know, I really don't run into a lot of people that I know from my childhood because I live so far away from all of them. Hmm. Uh, this is uh, this is amazing. Um, this one comes in, too. Uh, since uh, my TBI, I no longer have the ability to recognize people out of context. It used to drive me nuts. Now we just go with it. But it's interesting what my brain damage can do and the effects of hurting that uh, massive computer between your ears. Sorry, I don't have a name attached to that one. But uh, there is that, too. There are people that can't recognize anybody. Now, not because of uh, your situation with the with the brain injury, but um, that it just it, their brain happens that way. The giant supercomputer between your ears. Now, you're a computer scientist, Greg Fish. I just thought you would find that incredibly curious. We're going to have a, a conversation about this um, coming up tonight on The Shift. So um, what is facial recognition old school style? Yeah, I mean, your brain is really, because we're social animals, we are wired to recognize faces. We are very yeah. good at identifying faces. We're really good at recognizing faces. We're really good at remembering faces because it was crucial to our survival. Uh, right. And, and that's, that goes back for millions and millions of years. And that's actually one of the reasons why we see faces and things that actually don't have faces. It's called pareidolia. It's when you see a face in inanimate objects it's just our, our brain is just so fine-tuned for understanding that and there are people who get who have traumatic brain injuries that lose that ability but there's some some forms of face blindness where there are some inherited issues or there's some issues that develop uh and people can't recognize even their closest relatives like they they have the shape of a face but it never makes that connection that oh yeah. this is this person's name this is who this person is yeah, it's neat stuff, man. Uh, anyway, that's not uh, the original plan. I love the conversation, by the way, and I do look forward to, by the way, getting into a Ukraine conversation uh, maybe next week or something. I think it's probably time that we talked about that because that is your family background. Um, but not tonight. 
uh, we're going to save that until we know more about what's going on. Uh, you wanted to take us to this place of NFTs. We've heard of these NFTs, non-fungible tokens. People are, are, are buying up digital goods like crazy. And, um, even on Twitter, I noticed on the Twitter, they make the option to you now connect your crypto wallet and you can secure your profile picture as only yours and nobody can ever steal it. Um, it seems like a little bit of overkill, but it's here. Does it matter? So, that would be the question. Yeah. So about that, they can't steal it. They absolutely, totally can. Oh, if you can copy you a JPEG, <laughs> you can steal someone's profile picture. It is. Um, there, it's been a point of very serious consternation in the tech industry. And a lot of people like me are getting bombarded with people essentially saying, oh, we need to do Web3. Everything has to move to the blockchain and we have to do NFTs for everything. And, and that's the only way forward. Um, and, and all of us who work in the space are going, I'm sorry, what? Why? Mm -hmm. And here's the the... There is actually a good reason why people want to move to something different than what we have right now. So right now on the internet, you generally don't own your own data. So when you sign up on when you sign up for Facebook, when you sign up on Instagram, uh, you always have that, that terms of service that you have to agree with. And part of that term of service is all the data that you submit is now owned by that company. They can use it for targeting. They can sell it. They can do whatever they want with it. You know that that data is no longer yours. And there are quite a few people who are very genuinely, you know, significant figures in the computer science world, um, like the inventor of the web, Tim Berners-Lee, is one of the people who, who who pretty much protests that and says, no, you should be able to own your own data because that's the most valuable thing that you create on the Internet. So there's definitely been that thought of we have to somehow because we are gener we are the ones who are generating the value for social media. We're the ones who are generating the value with our interactions uh, with digital assets. So we should also be able to somehow benefit from that. And in core principle, I would agree with that. We should be able to benefit from that. But the way that NFTs and Web3 is being set up uh, that's not really what's happening. What's actually happening is more of a kind of a reshuffle and and land grab. It's what you're what we're trying to be what what we're being pushed towards is less you own your own data and you can benefit from the data that you create on the internet to every single click now costs you money. Every single click is a microtransaction and there's a fairly small number of intermediaries despite them screaming that everything is decentralized, everything is decentralized. No, there's a small number of intermediaries that stand to make a lot of money from moving as many people as possible to these blockchain-driven apps where literally everything you do requires a microtransaction. Is an NFT really nothing more than a proof of purchase like a receipt? And it seems to me to be an invitation for Lawsuit City, and that's really all it is. Yes, First of all, it is just a receipt. Second of all, what it usually is, is just the JPEG of where the original image were first uploaded that's cryptographically hashed. And third, and very importantly, a lot of NFTs that people are buying are literally things that are stolen from websites where artists po post their art. So they go to ArtStation, they go to DeviantArt, they go to, um, they, they go to different sites where people are like putting up their portfolios in hope of being hired as illustrators, ripping off their art, putting up links to it 
um, on like OpenSea or whatever other uh, NFT um, marketplaces there are and essentially selling them as if they're their own. So you're absolutely right. That's a huge, gigantic mess. Uh, and considering that the market is currently worth $40 billion, uh, at least uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of litigation that's going to happen in the near future. As soon as enough people kind of band together um, to make a, perf- a, a, a perfect class action lawsuit that's going to uh, send the whole industry into a tailspin. So it's kind of like a bit of a Ponzi sort of scenario. It's not sort of stealing from one to pay the other, but from the perspective of reselling the same thing over and over and over again to the point where you could sell it to 50 people to whatever their bids are and keep selling it over and over and over again because they're just duplicates of the same thing that you stole in the first place. Is that even possible? No. Well, technically, the the in the in the blockchain, that's not possible because once you sell it, you do transfer the ownership and you can't take it back. You can't just sell the you can't just but sell couldn't the same I make copy a over copy, and over. But couldn't I just have like ten different file names and ten different copies and and I mean because with with pictures, for example, you can you can change the the GPS coordinates. You can change all the information on the background of a photo. So if I downloaded a photo. I ate it at 10 different times, 10 different sizes, different resolutions, made them all a little bit different. Would the blockchain catch on to that? Well, you just need to rename the file differently. Right. You don't even have to go that far. But yes, if you if you do make them actually unique, like the, the, the actual file names and file locations unique, and if you do alter the files even a little bit, yeah, you can you can absolutely do that. Uh, because what's what's happening is as the blockchain what it, how it really works is it creates a cryptographic hash of the data that you upload to it and then as, as long as that data is different that's you're good to go because that hash is what essentially identifies that block so as you chain together those blocks you can totally get away with that it'd be like a, a vin number for a car like a serial number that's unique to that exactly that's that's okay. exactly what it is Okay, so that answers the question for NFTs from that perspective. One of the things that that we didn't realize so many years ago with photographs and digital photos, right? Remember when it was, oh, digital, and then you could just save it on your hard drive and uh, just print out the ones you want. You don't have to get 100 of them printed. You can only get four printed, and then you put those away. The old way we used to deal with photos is that we used to get them all printed, and we would you know, put the good ones into maybe get duplicates of the good ones and put those ones into a photo book. And just leave the rest in the envelope, put it away in a box somewhere, and that was it. We were done with the photos. That's how we archived all the photos. Now in the world of digital photos and digital documents, we have to store them, right? This was the scam of going digital, is that you need that um, mini storage, if you will, for all those boxes you haven't seen in 10 years. But if you want to lose them, they have to live somewhere. Hard drives have moving parts, older ones, that need to be replaced, um, connections to the hard drives, literally the plugs keep changing. There is all kinds of things that change over time. You have to maintain your digital photo galleries or documents as you go through time and move them around. What a, what a windfall for iCloud and for Google Drive and all these different places, Dropbox, where you can store these documents. Hope the servers don't ever go down. Um, so people are like, well, maybe I should have duplicates. Now they're paying for two places to do it. You're paying extra for iCloud and whatever. So this, we are paying rent forever in some fashion on these digital devices, right? Like whether it's your photos, your kid photos, your videos, what all these things we take on our phone, we're paying rent for the rest of time. 
And not only that, my kids are going to inherit my rent and my kids' kids are going to inherit my rent and their rent and all of these digital items forever because it's always going to have to be maintained. It's a machine. So with crypto wallets and all of the things that NFTs have to be stored in, are we just making more work for ourselves? Yes. And on top of that, you're just really changing who you pay rent to because now instead of saying, okay, I'm going to pay you know, iCloud four bucks a month and and AWS six bucks a month or, or or whatnot, you're essentially saying every time that I am going to view a photo, it's going to cost me two cents. Or every time that I upload something or, or every time that I share a photo, it's going to cost someone three cents to download it. Uh, you're, you're essentially just, just changing how you pay rent and to whom you pay it. It's, it's really the same thing, but only it's a lot more work. But on top of that, here's the other problem. Blockchains are public by default. So now if you have private stuff like, okay, well, you just went on vacation and you just want to have your own little private folder and you want to show it off to your relatives and that's totally fine. You don't want everyone to see everything that you've done. Well, you can't really do that on the blockchain. That's now all public. Um, And of course, there's also the issue of, you know, people do use a lot of digital communication devices for, um, shall we say, seductive, more seductive personal material. Uh, now, all of that is public. So <laughs> it's, it's really, you're basically <laughs> going to be, in some cases, literally airing your dirty laundry on the public blockchain. And there's actually some some experts who whose work I've read um, that, that, that kind of foresee a very scary future where people can upload things that are actually criminal on the blockchain and we can never get rid of them because you can't get rid of things once you put them on the blockchain. So it's like if someone uploads an illegal picture or uploads yep. proof of a crime. Um, yep. Yes, or they can't like erase it. Ex, pictures of their ex that they didn't have permission yeah. to publish. So revenge, por- revenge porn, That's child word, porn, yep. what have you, like things that give nightmares to social media moderators. You can upload that. And yes, those people can't remove it. And now they're linked to it and they can be prosecuted. But now you actually can't get it off the blockchain so the crime always exists it's a crime scene and you can never clean up digitally speaking so there's a lot of um you know death threats harassment that sort of thing will also live on the blockchain forever and all of it is public and all of it is not just accessible but you're actively paying to access it so it's it's kind of it's it's very much backwards it introduces more problems than it actually solves but i can totally get on board with the idea of we should be able to own our data and decide who uses it and how i think that the, there's definitely a great thought there but doing it with a blockchain is just not the way to do it uh it's it's just not how it's going to work well for for everyone uh for a number of the reasons that we covered um and then the other uh not too small of a problem that it's incredibly, incredibly pollution intensive. And the fact that added, that you, when you add something to the blockchain, you are emitting a lot of, well, you're not emitting it yourself, but you're essentially um, subsidizing incredibly polluting 
processes. Uh, so a lot of coal being burned, a lot of gas being burned, a lot of petroleum being burned to deliver all that energy. And uh, not only that, you're even if you go to clean energy, you're diverting a lot of energy that can be used to power homes and businesses and hospitals um, into essentially just doing cryptographic exercises for the sake of doing cryptographic exercises. Well, and that was going to be my next question. I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, we've heard about cryptocurrencies and the amount of electricity they consume running calculations to do their thing. Does it seem not ironic to you that the younger generation that is very excited about NFTs and all these things, is this one of those hypocritical things in life where someone had all these great ideas, but it's actually worse for the earth? The younger generation is not excited about NFTs. 83% no? of um, 83, 83% of Generation Z think NFTs are a scam. And a similar percentage of millennials think that this is, the, this is just nonsense. The vast majority of people in the tech world are essentially trying to say, we're trying to get our data centers clean. And now you want us to basically consume the, more than the entire power needed by the nation of Argentina? To place files online are you joking with us yeah well i know i get that i understand that i'm a little surprised about that because i mean people are buying you know nfts about video games and um you know all of the if you talk to my son uh, his generation they're all excited about how they can own their avatar and all of their upgrades that they've paid for and it can be theirs and customized you know it's a they're spending money on something that doesn't exist I think that that's that's a slightly different thing. There's definitely like metaverse type things where you can customize stuff and really make it your own, which but that's different from NFTs because NFTs are are basically about this is you know you're putting this stuff on the blockchain, you're trading this oh, stuff on on crypto markets. So it's it's slightly different. Like the 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 whole customize your avatar thing that's been. That's been huge since uh, IMVU days. That's been huge since the early 2000s, and, and people have uh, gotten better and better at using it. And it's totally fine. People are, you know, if you want to pay a couple bucks to have your digital presence look a certain way, then yeah, that's that's just perfect. That's just perfectly normal. But the NFT part, the part where you're actually trying to claim that you own the JPEG in perpetuity because you own a claim on a blockchain the vast majority of younger generations are not excited about that at all and think that this is just a huge waste of time and probably a scam. And I think to some extent, they're probably right because right now the NFT market is really being propped by either fads or by people who have a stake in it. You know, they build themselves as crypto consultants or they build themselves as uh, people who can come to your business and tell you how to get to get, get onto Web3. It's it's a revenue generating thing for them, or at least they think it's going to be a, ger- a revenue generating thing for them. Um, as far as the actual adoption of, of Web3, a lot of techies like myself have a lot of resistance to it because we know that the problems that are being introduced are not worth it. There are, you know, is are we running the web as perfectly as we can? Absolutely not. But is there a better way? But is there a better way to do it without introducing crypto? Absolutely yes. Greg Fish, World of Weird Check out the article; it's really good. It also talks about Dune and how someone bought the wrong thing online. Fish, uh, thanks so much for being here, buddy. Um, uh, staggering as always, insp- inspiring and insightful. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.